0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: Just a heads up, this episode of Days Like These touches on depression and suicide, so go easy if you're feeling fragile. We'll pop some mental health resources in the show notes too.
0: I was so nervous not knowing who would turn up. The weather was looking really sketchy. I was meant to speak as well, I hadn't really prepared a speech. I was definitely really worried about not enough people turning up and then at one stage I remember being worried about too many people turning up. A lot of stress and anxiety because I also had to be on top of the order of proceedings and making sure that things were running to schedule.
1: I'm Farza Draki. Welcome to Days Like These.
0: It was pretty much a ute and then getting up on the ute with with some speakers.
1: Tyson Coe is standing on the edge of a precipice. Well, technically, it's a ute at a Keep Sydney Open rally. He's about to make the leap from mad club goer, DJ, radio host and TV producer to being the very public face of a serious political movement. But as he tells reporter Alex Lolbach, it all started with a love of going out, dancing and loud music.
0: So I think as a kid, I was pretty precocious
1: when he was little,
2: Tyson adored the limelight and he found an audience as early as preschool.
0: And I just remember stopping proceedings to tell the teacher that I could break dance and I wanted to show everybody how to break dance. I remember basically getting on all fours and tangling my arms in between my legs. And it wasn't breakdancing at all. Even at the time, I kind of knew it and I was a little bit embarrassed. But, I mean, at three years old, I knew what breakdancing was and and had a crack.
2: At three, he's wise enough to know that, no, he's not a breakdancer. But as Tyson gets older, he spends a lot of time trying to figure out just who he is.
0: Australia was a pretty racist place in the 80s and 90s and also a little bit homophobic as well and I wasn't really aware of my sexual identity. I mean, I I definitely knew that I didn't feel normal but I, at the time I hadn't really admitted to myself that I was queer and also being mixed race as well uh, without having any white heritage in there. I mean, my mother being Iranian and my dad being Chinese, but from Indonesia, you know, not feeling really comfortable in either white or Asian or Middle Eastern spaces.
2: And then Tyson discovers the euphoria of the Sydney
0: club scene. By the time I was 18, house music was really starting to become more ubiquitous. The super club was just starting to come through, like Ministry of Sound and Gatecrasher.
2: In a way, Tyson came of age when Sydney nightlife was coming of age. It was the year 2000 and the city was humming.
0: That was finally the year where I could go mental, I guess. The Sydney Olympics were on. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sydney Games of the And there were parties everywhere. I remember going to Home Night Club, which had just recently opened. Fuzzy had some nights on there. Vibes on a Summer's Day, which used to be held at the Bondi Pavilion.
2: After spending so many of his teen years wondering just where he fit in, not in Asian circles or in Middle Eastern spaces, Tyson was living his best life, finding communion in loud, sticky-floored places.
0: It didn't matter what race you were or whether you were gay or straight or how much money you had. It was all about the music and it was all about your fashion or your flair. In a way, you could kind of be who you wanted to be. And then, of course, listening to all this amazing music as well and getting to dance and express yourself in that way. To Tyson,
2: the late 90s and early noughties were a time of unfettered freedom as far as
0: nightlife and partying were concerned. I think that was really a golden period. The
2: Sydney Olympics meant that politicians encouraged parties because they wanted the world to see Sydney as a lively, happening place.
0: And it was just this really vibrant scene. There were so many bands and you could just go to gigs for like, you know, six, seven bucks and schooners were still about $3.80, I think. Yeah, it was a really wonderful time. A bit later on, Purple Sneakers came along and that's where I had my real first gig as a DJ at Purple Sneakers back when it was at the Abercrombie. By
2: scoring a DJing gig at the popular and long-running indie music club night Purple Sneakers, Tyson had managed to turn his love of music and going out into a career. For those wondering what my sign is, I'm a Pisces. His DJing turns into hosting a radio show, into producing the iconic music TV show Rage, and Tyson becomes a well-known figure in the Sydney music scene. But it feels like these halcyon days will just last forever, even while the world keeps changing. 9 11, the GFC, governments falling and rising again. Inside Clubland, the good times just keep rolling.
0: When the lockout laws came about, it felt like a personal attack. I mean, like, not just on me personally but also professionally and the industries that I was involved in, the industries that a lot of my friends relied upon for bread and butter.
1: New laws to tackle alcohol-fuelled violence in Sydney are being tested this weekend, and so far, police say, they all appear to be working. New laws to curb alcohol-fuelled violence came in with more of a whimper than a bang. The rules, which took effect from Monday, were introduced in a bid to stop one-punch killings after the deaths of a number of young men in King's Cross. It was a relatively quiet night in Sydney's CBD and King's Cross as the measures came into effect.
2: The golden period of Sydney nightlife. Tyson's career and his sense of self, all of it has ground to a jarring halt. The violent deaths of Thomas Kelly in 2012 and Daniel Christie in 2013 sparked a sudden move from the New South Wales state government to curb alcohol-fuelled aggression. They pulled out their map of Sydney and a Sharpie and drew a big circle with King's Cross in the middle that stretched all the way to the CBD. And if you found yourself in that circle... No-one could enter a venue after 1.30am and all clubs had to close at 3. Tonight, collateral damage, the devastating impacts of the new liquor laws on
0: Sydney's nightlife economy.
2: Suddenly, you could throw a size 12 stiletto down the middle of Oxford Street on a Saturday night and there'd be no chance of hitting a soul.
0: Places were closing down left, right and centre and people were losing money and people were having to take... Third and fourth jobs, you know, just to make ends meet.
2: Tyson's desperate to do something to help the industry that he's found so much refuge in for so many years. He's excited and he's passionate and raring to go. And then he stumbles across a Facebook group called Keep Sydney Open. It has about three or 4,000 followers, but it looks like their activities have stalled as the organisers have moved on to having babies and living in that nine-to-five grind. But they're more than happy to hand the reins of Keep Sydney Open over to Tyson.
0: I kind of overhauled it, I completely changed the logo, the branding, the messaging and just spent a lot of late nights putting it together before approaching venue owners and other people in the industry and just going, hey, I'm Tyson from Keep Sydney Open and I was wondering if you'd be interested in XYZ.
2: But he knows that they'll need more than just a bunch of supporters and some signatures on a petition to make real change.
0: I always knew that a protest had to happen. And for me, even in my kind of novice state, I knew that timing was everything.
2: And while he's waiting for the right moment, Tyson becomes sort of famous, or maybe infamous, as the Premier's enemy.
0: There was a photo of my head on the Sydney Morning Herald front page. That's when it all really kicked off. Mike Baird was front and centre, and my head was there in the corner... It was all about this good versus evil. Mike Baird was on one side and I was on the other and it was one of the things that made me realise, okay, yeah, no, now is definitely the time. So
2: Tyson organises a march through the city, ending up in Hyde Park for one week after his face is on the front page as Mike Baird's nemesis. And while he's organised club nights and wrangled artists at the radio station, he's never attempted anything of this scale before.
0: It was this super intense week of just getting on the phone, sending emails, trying to get a good lineup together, trying to get all the staging happening, trying to get all the permissions put into place. This couldn't be any protest.
2: It needed to reflect the Keep Sydney Open cause, to represent the people that the lockout laws were really hurting.
0: Make it like a gig. Make it like a festival. We had a fucking dynamite sound system. I mean, like, it...
1: thousands of people have taken part in a rally to protest against the lockout laws in sydney's entertainment precincts revelers say the alcohol restrictions spell the end of a vibrant cultural scene but doctors say it's saving lives
0: i was so nervous not knowing who would turn up the weather was looking really sketchy I was meant to speak as well. I hadn't really prepared a speech. There were so many moving parts to be on top of.
2: The logistics and the what ifs were freaking Tyson out. But as soon as the rally kicked off, all of that worry turned to elation.
0: There were bands that had set up uh, along the route and it was just a really joyous occasion it
1: was not just about young people wanting to go out and party it was
0: this sense of not just protesting and being really angry but also putting on full display the kind of culture that we wanted to save and encourage in sydney and it was raining as well but no one cared it just it really felt like a festival. 15,000 people have turned out here to stand together against these lockouts guys, that is amazing. I almost started hyperventilating while I was speaking because I was just so overwhelmed by the sight of 15 to 20,000 people supporting live music and nightlife in Sydney. The reason why we need to lock out good people from good venues Doing it because of something that I had done with the team of people who were working on Keep Sydney Open at the time, and it felt like, yeah, okay, this is a turning point.
2: Tyson's on a massive high after such a successful protest, and of course, he heads out for a huge night to celebrate with his mates and his team. They held more rallies and parties that raised the profile of Keep Sydney Open, but his small wins bring with them scrutiny and criticism.
0: I realised that people that I knew and had known for years, some of them even close friends, had stopped viewing me as a person and more as a curiosity and someone that they'd read about in a newspaper or see on the television, uh, rather than as a person who has feelings and failings and all that kind of stuff. You'd get these people who would recognise me from media and agree with the lockout laws. And so I'd also have to defend myself and also the community that I was fighting for on a daily basis. It's not exactly what I had thought was going to happen. I didn't think that I was going to be the guy.
2: Whether or not Tyson wanted to be the guy, he was the guy.
0: Live television is really nerve-wracking and I remember on one occasion just being really tripped up on my words like I wanted to say invigorate I wanted to say you know we need to reinvigorate nightlife but I kept on saying (laughs) reinvigorate this was actually a a live interview with Carl Stefanovic and someone from the public was just walking past And she actually chimed in to correct me, like popped into, popped into camera and I can laugh about it now, but oh my God, I just wanted to crawl into a hole and die at the time. It was just terrible.
2: Early on in Keep Sydney Open, Tyson had thought a protest or two would be enough to convince the state government that there was huge public support, enough to quickly overturn the laws and reopen Sydney's nighttime industry. But Tyson was wrong and the supporters of the lockout laws were powerful. And determined. So in 2018, four years after the lockouts had started, Tyson registers Keep Sydney Open as a political party to run at the 2019 New South Wales state election. The laws restricting the operation of late-night venues have become one of the most divisive issues in Australia's largest city in recent years. They even prompted the establishment of a new political party, Keep Sydney Open.
0: I think starting off as a community-based campaign and then transitioning to a political party brought on some really wonderful new elements, but it just completely changed things in ways that I hadn't quite anticipated.
2: Discovering the
0: intricacies of
2: the political game was a steep learning curve for Tyson. And although he still thought of himself and his supporters as independent and community-minded, getting into the fray of politics had people
0: doubting his integrity and they were going for the jugular. As soon as you wade into that political arena in a more explicit way, people just treat you very differently. They treat you as public property, as someone who needs to be held to account at all times, which, you know, I I think is fair enough, but people can be very unkind when it comes to that. And of course, there are the people who were already in politics that all of a sudden start to look at you as a threat the
2: nastiness of political life, all the hard work and the criticism, all of it starts to wear on Tyson's mental health. At the time, he was doing a million jobs that keep Sydney open and one of them was to manage the social media accounts.
0: So, of course, I was reading every comment and, you know, this is me and my silly, obsessive mind. You know, I'd see people that I thought cared about me, you know, and saying some really nasty things. One of the big ones was that we were going to split the left wing, that we were stealing votes from the Greens. Also, you know, just things that were quite personal, just, you know, things like I was boring or that I wore funny pants. And it really affected me, you know, like I would go to places that I felt like were home and seeing people that I was like, I know what you think about me. You've said that online. It was really hard for me to keep my head up, I guess, and ignore the critiques and just focus on what needed to be done. Welcome to the ABC's Election Centre. ABC Elections Analyst, Anthony
2: Green. Like everyone else interested in politics, on election day, Tyson was glued to the ABC. ABC watching the results dribble in.
1: Well, we'll start with the the general numbers. There's been
0: quite a number of changes... And it looked like we were doing quite well. We just had no idea how it was going to go. We certainly weren't going to win any lower house seats and we were hoping for an upper house seat, but it kind of looked really promising.
2: The outcome of the election won't be known for a couple of weeks, but all indications suggest that keep Sydney open is going to score a spot in the upper house.
0: You know, I was being interviewed by newspapers under the impression that I was gonna be one of the state's newest upper house members. And so I was sort of putting myself in that headspace, which is like the number one thing that you don't do. You don't get your hopes up until you know for sure.
2: Tyson had started dancing before the beat dropped. He'd been heartbreakingly close. At the final tally, Keep Sydney Open missed out on a seat by only a few thousand primary votes.
0: It was really crushing when it didn't happen in the end. You know, me being my own worst critic, like, oh, I should have done this differently. I should have done that differently, you know, and there were any number of things that maybe could have got it over the line.
2: Keep Sydney Open still had a job to do. The lockout laws were still in place after all, but the defeat really rattled Tyson.
0: I really felt alone for quite some time in that year after the election. Days of not getting out of bed and just not feeling very motivated. I'd already quit my job that I'd had for eight years and, uh, and, and I'd done that to put it all on the line, which I still don't regret, but it did kind of leave me with these feelings of negativity but with nothing there to fill the space Things did get very dark
2: Tyson got so low that he tried to end his life
0: Even though I had attempted but because I wasn't quite in a place where I would go all the way and so yeah it was it was very it was very fortunate, I think that that was the case.
2: Tyson's pretty good at holding himself together publicly and putting on that brave face. So even the people closest to him, they had no idea how bad he felt.
0: It's something which I think a lot of queer people in particular can relate to because before you're out as being, gay or trans or lesbian, you try and hide it, you know. And I think a lot of people become very, very proficient at that. And I think that kind of skill set is one that I still kind of have, you know. If I'm feeling absolutely awful, I won't tell people that. I'll tell people that I'm all right or or even I'm great. I didn't want to bring people down. I didn't want to be a Debbie Downer
2: and although he's severely depressed, Tyson still desperately wants to achieve the goals of keep Sydney open. The battle isn't over, and so he forces himself to rally.
0: Of course the campaign was still going, and there were things happening like I had to appear at an upper house hearing on the lockout laws, and so I had to kind of gather myself for that. And then it felt like the laws were on the edge of being repealed. So there was more energy there. There was um, something to really focus on. Then it became apparent towards the beginning of 2020 that they were gonna get rid of the laws.
1: Tonight, lockout laws set to be scrapped.
0: We got the law changed, the one that we had been fighting for the whole time. And that's the thing that I'm most proud of really. It was definitely a victory and it was a huge sigh of relief.
2: It was such a short-lived high for Tyson and Keep Sydney Open. They transitioned almost immediately from lockouts to lockdown.
0: And I had kind of returned to some of the thoughts that I'd had immediately after the election the year prior.
2: A combination of coming down from the thrill of the lockout laws being lifted to being stuck at home in lockdown and then... The death of a friend. It sent Tyson spiraling.
0: I had this sense of being really removed from the people, even very close to me, because all of these thoughts and feelings that I that I wasn't letting out, it just reached a point where I felt like I was living a lie, that I had to be more honest with myself, my Friends, my partner, the people around me about how I was feeling because it was, just, it was just inside me to a point where it felt like a poison and I just had to let it out and, um, and explain to people how I've actually been feeling over the last few years. Tyson had spent his life
2: hiding the way that he felt, but now he needed to tell the truth. And the safest way to do that, in a strange way, was to do it in the most public way possible on Facebook.
0: It wasn't like I was having it published in a newspaper, but with almost a couple of thousand Facebook friends, it was um, significant enough to let the people that were close to me and a handful of others (laughs) that, um, that I was going through all of this stuff. I really wanted to be quite vivid with my language so that they knew exactly what those feelings were and why it could get to a point where someone might want to take their own life.
2: Maybe it was the collective mental struggles of lockdown or Tyson's direct and honest approach to feeling suicidal. But that post resonated.
0: I mean, I can only really liken it to actually coming out. You've got this kind of inverted commas secret and then you let it out and then everything just changes from that point forward. I had kind of outed myself as being someone who had gone through this very acute case of mental unwellness. People still come up to him to talk about the post, two years on. I have had moments since then where I've regretted being so upfront, but I think where I've landed is is that absolutely had to happen. And I definitely feel much, much better now for having done that. I think where I've come to both through that experience, but also through lockdown um, and COVID is that, no, you can live for yourself and for your own happiness. And that is perfectly okay. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm in a pretty good place. Got a dog, still with my boyfriend. I'm at an age now where it's either a 40th or a wedding or, or a baby shower every every week. So, yeah, life's good. There's a lot of good stuff happening.
2: And if you're wondering, Tyson still loves a boogie.
0: It's it, it's just that energy that I don't think I'll ever tire of. I'm definitely capable of a late night, definitely not as frequently as before, but, uh, I mean, when you've got a good thing going, why pull the plug, you know? <laughs>
1: That was Tyson Coe. This story was produced by Alex Lollback and Sarah McPhee. Our sound engineer was Russell Stapleton. Sophie Townsend is our most excellent executive producer. This story was produced on the lands of the Gadigal, Gundungara and Turrbal people. If you love days like these, we'd appreciate it if you just take a hot minute to review the podcast on your favourite app and follow us wherever you get your podcasts. And join us next time for a 30th birthday celebration that goes horribly, horribly wrong. That's next time on Days Like These.